verse. It's found in Proverbs 28, verse 1. I want you to read this with me. Come on, everybody together out loud. The godly are as bold as lions. Look at that. The Detroit Lions is in the Bible. Is that awesome? Fortunately, they're not in the Super Bowl, but that's okay. You know what this tells us? This tells us that the godly are bold. God's looking for bold people. I'm going to tell you something. Bold people see big things. Why? Because we believe in a big God. So I want to pray a prayer. Would you just close your eyes? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for your presence. We ask today that you would truly stir up a bold spirit within us. Dare to believe for big things. In fact, just put your hand on your heart. Pray this with me. Say, God, speak to my heart and make me bold. In Jesus' name, and God bless the Rams. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Come on, do we have any Rams fans in the house today? All right. Some of you are like, well, what about the Patriots? Well, the Bible, the Bible says to pray for your enemies. So I'm praying for you. Just, just saying. <laughs> well, today um, we're going to continue on our series called Bold. We've been talking about a man named Nehemiah and a book that was his memoirs. It was his journal of what had happened when God gave him a bold vision. First, he prayed a bold prayer that God would give him favor with the king as the king's cupbearer. And the king would give him the money, the authority, the power to go a thousand miles back to Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors, and rebuild the walls. What had happened is God's people, because of their sin, and after they had inherited the promised land, they were put into um, what's called exile, captivity. And for 70 years, they were spread out in other nations and other places. But after 70 years, God said, because he loved them, he would bring them back. And they came back. They rebuilt the tabernacle or the temple of God. So in other words, they reinstituted God's worship and presence in the city but the walls of the city were still broken down. In other words, the enemy still had access to them. They were surviving, but they weren't thriving. How many of you don't want to just survive? You want to thrive in 2019. Well, one of the keys, I believe, to experiencing a thriving relationship with God and his purpose in your life is you've got to not only have worship, but you've got to rebuild the broken places. Because as Christians, there's a lot of us that have gotten saved, and there's a spirit of worship now alive in our heart but there's brokenness surrounding our lives. And so God is wanting us to experience that healing and transformation. God, in fact, God wants you to pray bold prayers. He wants you to have a bold vision. Uh, our theme verse here is that God can do exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask, dream, or imagine according to his power that's at work within you. God is a next level God that wants to do next level things. He wants you to dream big. He wants you to have bold vision. In fact, let me tell you, one of the keys to really thriving is vision. I want to read a verse to you. It's found in in the book of Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no what? No vision, people perish. They run wild. You, you'll never truly live and thrive to your potential that God has for you until you have vision, until God is able to rebuild the walls. So what we've been doing is we've been basically learning about through the book of Nehemiah, what does bold vision look like? In week one of this idea of vision, we, we preached on prayer for a couple weeks, but three weeks ago, we started on bold vision. And we learned in week one that bold vision is about timing. That when it comes to vision, it's about the timing. Like we use the example of flying a kite and how that you can go outside and try to fly a kite, but if the wind isn't blowing, it's not going to go up. It's not going to stay up there. 
And so you've got to make sure the timing's right with vision. We learned in, in the story of Nehemiah that he waited till the timing was right. After he prayed 40 um, days and actually after he prayed four months, then he asked the king. And then he waited right till he came to the city to share the vision because we learned that the second part is bold vision understands communication. You've got to communicate, share the vision. It has to be done at the right time. It has to be done the right way. We learned last week that share it in person. Don't text somebody your vision. If you want to have a, a vision of restoring a relationship, don't text them, I'm sorry. But you need to meet face-to-face. There's something about face-to-face and vision. We learned that you need to have experience when you share the vision. So we, we've talked about those things. This week, we're going to not talk about the, 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 the timing of vision. We're going to talk about the how of vision. And, and so I'm going to give you the bumper sticker this weekend, the bumper sticker that you're going to take away for bold vision, and this is what you need to hopefully stamp on your heart or your mind and walk out with is this, and that is that bold vision develops a plan. Bold vision develops a plan. I want to show you in this story how this happens. In Nehemiah, it says that I arrived in Jerusalem and then three days later, and we find out that after three days, he then shares the vision. We learned about timing. We learned about how to share the vision. But look what he does. He says, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Verse 13, after dark, I went through, out through the valley gate. Everybody say the valley gate. gate. Past Jackal's well and over to the dung gate. Everybody say the dung gate. You didn't think you'd be saying that word in church, did you? To inspect the broken walls and the burned gates. Then I went out to the fountain gate. Everybody say the fountain gate. And to the king's pool, and my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the walls before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. What's interesting here is we see the city of Jerusalem, and before he shares the plan, he has to come up with the plan. He has to develop a plan. In order to do that, we see something that I'm going to show you, because there's four things I want to talk to you about vision. But let me show you the city first of all. This is a replica of what the city may have looked like at that time. You had the temple here, and then you had Jerusalem inside these walls, which these walls were broken down. The Bible says that he went through the valley gate right here. We're going to talk about that. He worked his way around down to the dung gate, which was the lowest area from a, uh, literally from the scale of the, the land mass and topography. It was the dung gate, and then he went around to what's now called the fountain gate. And there were wells. There was the king's pool. There was also what we call jackal's well out by the valley gate. So I'm going to give you now four principles. If you're going to develop a plan, because let me tell you something, God has a vision for you. He said, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of a hope, a future, to prosper you and not harm you. For some of us, that vision in 2019 is maybe to get out of debt. For some of us, it may be to buy a new home. For some of you, the, the vision for the new year may be to start a business or maybe to, to start volunteering or go back to school. Maybe for some of you, it's to coach a team. Maybe for some of you and many of you, it's to get involved and serve somewhere in your gift and calling in the kingdom here at Higher Vision. For all of you, it's to get plugged into a small group where you can grow and thrive. God has a vision for us. So how do we develop this plan? Well, I'm going to give you point number one from the story, and here's what it is. If you're going to develop a plan, you start with by, you you begin to develop and do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. Notice what it says. It says, when I got there, I went out and I inspected the broken walls and the burned gates. You see, Nehemiah's starting point to developing this plan started by assessing 
the situation, assessing the condition of the walls and the gates. If you're going to have a plan, whatever that plan is, you need to start by doing your due diligence. You need to go and see the condition. If financially it's getting out of debt, you need to see how much money do you have coming in? What are you doing with your money? What's your budget like? How much debt do you have? What kind of interest are you paying? You need to do your due diligence because here's the big thing. If you don't do your due diligence, if you don't develop a plan, here's the problem. If you fail to plan, what you're really doing is you're planning to fail. If you fail to plan, what you're really doing is you're planning to fail. And part of that plan is to do your due diligence. Now, I'll tell you a story. And the story is, is that um, basically I have a situation where I didn't do my due diligence, but praise God, God's grace covered me. I'm really thankful that sometimes God just covers you when you just haven't done what you're supposed to do. Isn't that good? Aren't you thankful for the grace of God, right? And so what happened was is my son got in an accident a while back and he totaled the car. And so we had to get a new car. And when we were talking about it, I'm like, son, here's the deal. We need to get you a car and let's try Let's pray that God helps us, to, helps us to find an owner that's selling their car. Because normally it's a little cheaper than when you go to the dealership. Secondly, if it's an owner that really good, you know, took good care of the vehicle versus maybe someone that leased it and didn't take good care of it or there's been an accident, we'll get a better quality vehicle for a better price. It's like, I'm all in. Sounds good. So we start looking and we find a car and it's got low mileage. It was taken care of very well. It had one owner. In fact, they put new wheels on it. And uh, I mean, it had the, the, the policy where you could go in and get it serviced. It had extra warranty on it. I mean, it was a perfect car. It was a hybrid. Right now he's commuting to college. And, and so it got good gas mileage. And we're like, man, this is the car. So we, we go through the process. We do the deal. We sign the papers. We get the papers signed. I give him the money. He gives me the keys. But then he says, oh, and by the way, I don't have the title. Now, it had been a long time since I'd bought a car from an owner. And I hadn't done the study and research like I'd done in the past when I'd done that. And one of the big things is when you get the keys, you get the title. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? So now... There was these two or three days where he had my money while I was waiting for him to give me the title. Come on, somebody say, you're dumb. <laughs> now, I had his car. Some of you are like, well, you had his car. You're okay. But yeah, but if he had the title, he could say that I took the car and take the car back. And it was a dumb thing to do. And for three days, I sweat bullets. Because he had my money. I should have never done it. It was one of those things where I just didn't do my due diligence. I just didn't plan ahead. Now, praise God, he was a good guy. I sensed that. And so we, you know, rather than him forcing him to, to get the money back and having all this, I just waited. He brought the title. We signed it. We signed it over. We've got the car and everything is fine. But I just wonder how many people are trying to start a business? How many people are trying to restore a relationship? How many people are, are trying to do a new vision and they're sweating bullets? They're full of fear. They've got anxiousness. And here's the problem because they don't know what they're getting into. I tell you something, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And the key to the sound mind is that if you fail to plan, really you're planning to fail. So do your due diligence. If you're going to work on going back to school, find out what that involves. Find out if you still have your diploma, if there's a record of your diploma. Find out what 
you have to do in applying for the school you want to go to. Do your due diligence. That's what Nehemiah did. Is he said, I need to see the walls. I need to see the condition. I need to know where we are in this situation. I can't tell you how many people get visions and dreams to plant a business or, or to get out of debt. And they have no idea what the situation involves. They have no idea the cost. So the starting point is to answer your phone <laughs> and to do your due diligence. I'm just giving you a hard time. It's probably my son or my daughter. My son or my daughter set alarms for everything. I'm like, turn that phone off. And I say it that way in case you're wondering. All right. Do your due diligence. How about point number two? Address the past. The second step of developing your plan is you've got to address the past. Notice, here's what it says. He said, I went out. First of all, I inspected everything. I did my due diligence. And then I went out through the valley gate past the jackal's well. Now, why do I bring up the past? Well, first of all, let's see. This is the valley gate, and this is where they went in and out. And um, when they went in and out of this, into this valley, and people walked in and out, here's what you need to know is that I believe that what this speaks about, and there's a spiritual principle for us, and that is that it represented the past. Because here's what you need to know about the valley gate. The valley gate was known as the, the Hinnon Valley in the past. And it was the place that centuries before, when the Canaanites lived there, It was the place where they sacrificed their children on an altar to Moloch and to the god Baal. In fact, the reason that God drove Canaan, the the people of Canaan, out of Canaan and gave it to the Israelites was because the Bible tells us that the blood of innocent children were calling unto him. So this was a place of sin. This was a place of disobedience. And he said, when you come in and you take the land, here's what you need to know. Don't buy into and start doing the customs of the people of the land. Because if you do, I'll send you into exile. And according to Jeremiah chapter 32, some of Israel began to follow in the customs of the Canaanites and actually offered children on the altar of Baal to Moloch. And that is the reason, one of the main reasons, along with years of disobedience, that God sent Israel into exile. And what's interesting is that it says that outside of the gate of this place of the past of disobedience was a well, and it was called Jackal's Well, which actually other translations call it the serpent's well. And what it represents was that historically they believe that probably what happened was there was a snake in this well. Someone came to the well to get water. The snake bit them, and they either died or, or were very sick. And so it was given the name the serpent's well. The point I want to make is simply this. is it Could it be that the enemy is waiting for our disobedience? Because he's ready to strike in the midst of our disobedience. And what I find interesting is that before he could build the rest of the wall, the first place he wanted to start, the first place that had to be addressed was the sins of the past. And I want to tell you that in order for us to move forward, sometimes we have to deal with the past. That's why the Bible says, it's interesting, in the book of Philippians, he said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the what? And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press to reach to the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize for which God has called me through Christ Jesus. You see, the enemy is waiting to attack at your place of disobedience. But in order to move into a new vision, you have to address and repent of the sin of the past. 
I think there's a lot of people that are struggling with their vision and their dream. And here's why. Because you haven't addressed your past. You see, because here's the issue. If you don't own it, it'll own you. If you don't own it, it'll own you. It reminds me of the story of Joseph's brothers. And you know what's interesting is Joseph's brothers, if you kind of look through their life, literally, when they finally saw their brother and knew who he was, and they, God spared their family, brought them to, you know, to Egypt, their entire life for years living there was filled with fear and anxiety. Because this is how we know that when their dad, um, Jacob, died, they came up with another story and lied. They never dealt with what they'd done before. They came up with a story and went to their brother and said, hey, our dad told us he made us swear that you would forgive us when he died so that you didn't ring retribution for what we did to you earlier. So now in the name of our dead father, forgive us. It was, the whole thing was a big fabrication and lie. So here's the point. They lived in fear all of those years waiting for the past shoe to drop. They couldn't move into their future because they hadn't addressed their past. And how many of us are struggling to rebuild things in our lives because we've never addressed the sins of the past? If there's things that have happened in your past, own it. You know why you need to own it? You know why you need to go to God and why you may need to go to other people and say, listen, I was wrong. I did this wrong. You see, a lot of people, they want to have a healed relationship from a broken relationship in the past. So here's what they think. Well, we'll just act like nothing ever happened. How many know that works well? How many know it starts with, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about something, and I need to ask your forgiveness for something? Because if you don't own it, it'll own you. And here's the good news. When you own it, here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, in other words, if you come to Christ, if you've repented of your past, repented of your sins, he has become a what? new person. The old is gone and a, la- a new life has begun. Here's the good news. You see, the devil can't, um, he can't throw things in your face from your past. Why? Because when you've really repented of your sin, here's what God does. He doesn't just forgive it, but he covers it with the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says he throws it in the sea of forgetfulness to never be remembered again. So when the enemy tries to point at your past, it's not there because it's gone because there is therefore now con- can no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You'll struggle to live into, and walk into your future. You haven't had the courage to own your past. So before we build this thing, before the new season comes, before the vision is fulfilled, address your past. I want to say we need to address our past as a nation. Because the blood of innocent children are once again crying out to God. Recent laws that have been passed, I know that some have taken that law to the extreme and it hasn't been accurate, but there's a lot of things about the law. In fact, can I tell you that in America, over the last many years, since 1973, 60 million children have been aborted in this country. More than any nation in the history of the world. Now let me just stop and say, sometimes when this issue of the past comes up, maybe you're here and 
in your past, you had an abortion. I want you to know something. This is the right place to be because this is the place where you get to hear good news like this. Guess what? That baby's with Jesus. And you're going to see that baby again. Secondly, there's good news, and that is that God forgives and he heals and he redeems. And not only could he heal your heart, but he could use you to help and bless other people. Listen, this is the right place to be, but we've got to own our past. We've got to repent of our sins. And as a nation, we've got to call out to God and we've got to say, God, forgive us and do whatever we can do. Get on our knees, cry out to God, vote for legislation and for leaders who will support and protect life. Whatever we've got to do, guys, I'm telling you, in order for us to move into our future with blessing, we've got to address our past. So what's in your past that you need to say, God, I'm going to own it. And I'm asking for forgiveness today. Amen. Do your due diligence. Address your past. And number three, write this down. Dispose of the waste. Let me read to you now what the scripture says. After dark, I went out to the valley gate, but then I went over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. If you look at the picture here, you can see that the dung gate, it's in the lowest part of this region. Now, what was the dung gate? Well, the dung gate was the place where they would take all the human and animal waste out of the city through the dung gate so that they could dispose of the waste. They would get rid of the dung. How many know we need to get rid of the dung? Not just metaphorically, but in every way. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why? Because dung stinks. And it'll contaminate you. You know, it's important. If you don't get rid of the dung, if you don't dispose of the waste, if your system doesn't purge that, it'll begin to rot your intestines, it'll cause death to your physical body. You've got to deal with the dung. I'm kind of enjoying this right now (laughs) because I see all the nervous looks all across the the auditorium. And how many know if you don't dispose of it, if you kind of even get plugged up a little bit, how many know that There's probably going to be some evidence that people will know that the dung is still there. And what amazes me is how many Christians have a call to have rebuilt walls to live and prosper. And the problem is, is they might have even, you know, repented of some things in the past, but they still don't deal with the dung. How many of us have some things we need to dispose of in our lives, some attitudes, some habits. I mean, you know, they say if someone has an addiction, they're never going to be freed from their addiction until they first admit they're dung. We need to say, I'm done with the dung. <laughs> Something has to rise up in our hearts to say, I'm not going to let, because here's the thing. In order to walk into our future, we don't just have to deal with our past, but we have to address our present. 
And it's interesting because there's a scripture that says this. It says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Sir, ma'am, if you're struggling with substance abuse, you'll never truly live out God's vision if you don't address that issue in your life. You'll never have a better marriage if you don't address the way you talk to your spouse. You'll never get out of debt if you don't address your propensity to spend more than what you have. Come on, somebody out there hear me today? And I want to tell you when it comes to vision, God is saying, listen, you need to do your due diligence. You need to address the past, but you need to deal with the present. Because if you'll deal with the present, guess what? It's, it, it feels good to be clean. It feels good to be clean. And God will forgive us of our sins. He'll remove our sins. But he's calling us to begin to live out a principle of walking in righteousness and sanctification so you got to address the past, you got to dispose of the waste, and I want to give you point number three. Y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. Point number four is this. You need to secure your resources. So notice, this process, this plan that starts to develop, first of all, he does his due diligence, then he deals with some things of the past so he can move into the future. Now he moves into the future, and what is the future? It's the present. Now it's, we're going to deal with the dung gate. We're going to work on making sure. How many know that you don't want to buy property near the dung gate? Location, location, location. I just want to say there's a lot of people that have struggled with wondering why they don't have more friends, wondering why they're not more blessed. And they, don't real, they don't realize it's their pig pen. There's an aroma around them. And it comes through by the fact of denial of the weaknesses and issues that God has come to set them free from. Come on, somebody say amen. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So then he goes to the next gate. This is secure your resources. I want to talk about that for a minute because it says, Then I went down to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. Notice that he makes his way past the dung gate. Now it's to the fountain gate. Let me tell you what the fountain gate did. It was the access way where people went and got water. So when they needed water, how many know we need water to survive? We need water to cook food. We need water for our health. You can't live without water. They needed water. Water was the life flow of the city. Without water, there is no city. You find you move to another location where there is water. I got to tell you, you need the flow of water in your life. You need God's resources in your life. Now, what does water represent in the Bible? Well, in the Bible, water represents um, um, God's um, provision into your life. It represents His Spirit, God's Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say? Like rivers of living water rising up from your stomach or your belly. It talks about the Holy Spirit. So you need the divine flow of God's presence, his spirit in your life. You need his provision. How many know we need God's provision in our life? We need his power. In fact, this pool, the king's pool, was the same place. It was the same pool where Jesus, when he saw the blind man and he put mud on his eyes, he said, now go wash in the king's pool or the pool of Siloam, which that's what it was called before. 
And it became known as the king's pool later on under Hezekiah and, and so on. But he said, go wash your, your eyes there. And a miracle happened at the pool, the king's pool. Because the water is, represents the healing, the, the, the divine power of God to give you re, the resources you need to fulfill your vision. It's interesting because what happened is this pool, this source of water, actually resided outside. Now, later on, this changed, but it resided outside of the walls of the city. So when the enemy would come, here's what he had to do. He didn't have to get into the city to defeat the, the people in, in Jerusalem. You know what he did? He just separated them from the pool. And as long as the people were shut up in the city and separated from this pool, they got no water, and eventually they were going to surrender to the enemy because they weren't connected. They hadn't secured the resource. But what was really cool is King Hezekiah came along, and when he became king, he realized that they were always going to be, um, you know, susceptible to attack and defeat from their enemy unless they had secured their resources. So here's what he did. He hired engineers, and engineers started hundreds of yards apart down underneath the earth, and they began to dig this underground canal, this aqueduct, and what's amazing, his historians say it was a, 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 literally an, an amazing engineering feat that they dug and According to history, when they got to the middle, they were only one yard apart. And they connected this aqueduct where the water that was under the pool of the king's pool now flowed deep below the waters, deep below the surface, and it flowed water now into the city of Jerusalem so that they had the resources they need to survive the attack of the enemy. And as I began to pray about and think about it, if we're going to build the walls for success in our lives, for the visions in our lives, the question is, have you secured those resources? Have you secured God's divine flow into your life? The problem is, as a pastor, I see many times people haven't done that, and then they struggle, and here's why. Because they isolate, and the enemy isolates them from the thing that brings them life. You know, it's funny as people start to, to struggle, and there'll be an attack of the enemy. And you know what's the first thing they do? They quit tithing. Next thing they do is they quit their circle. Well, I don't have time. Things are going on. And what, what do you see happening? You see the enemy doing, just like in the Old Testament, isolating them from their source of life. Pretty soon, the next thing to go is, well, I don't, I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to do online thing. Not to say all of you online have been <laughs> separated by the enemy. Georgia doesn't count. No, I'm just kidding. I know some of you had things going. You had to do it this way today. Point is, is then what happens? Before long, those same people that used to be a part of our church thriving, now their marriage is messed up. They ended up getting that divorce. They struggle. There's no vision. They begin to perish. Why? Because they've disconnected from the resource, the source. That's why you need to keep tithing. You know why? Because here's the promise. When you tithe, the Bible says, and you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, here's what God says. He says, I will open the windows of heaven, and I will rebuke the devourer. You know what I've learned over the years? If there's one thing, even if I am not a Christian, I will tithe. There's someone in our church that for years would tithe. For 10 years, tithed faithfully to this church, 
and was not even a Christian. Now, praise God, they've gotten saved. Come on, somebody say amen. But you know why? Because they said, I don't want to ever be in a position where I'm not where God can release his divine flow of blessing and prompt where he opens the windows of heaven, where he rebukes the devourer. Listen, there's a lot of people that have been isolated from the vision, from the breakthrough, from their healing, and here's why. Because you haven't secured your resources. Keep tithing. Don't quit that circle. You need those people that are standing with you, that are praying with you, that are believing with you. And I'm telling you, here's what's awesome is that when we begin to position ourselves to say, God, I'm going to secure your blessing in my life, your promises. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to use my gifts for God. I'm going to share my faith. I, I, it's really simple, guys. What, what do we, how do we live a blessed life? We honor the Lord by coming to his house. We honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What do we do? We come and we honor the Lord with our gifts and we use what God has given us. How else do we do it? We get connected with other believers in small groups and we gather together and see God move in our midst and we pray for one another and we encourage each other we, because we're not making life about us now. We're making life about others. And what do we do? We give to God's kingdom. I'm telling you, when you follow the principles, you will secure God's promise and there is no devil in hell that can take you out. There is no devil in hell that can stop God's promise. There is no plan of the enemy. In fact, God says that this is your inheritance. If you stay connected to God's promises. This is your inheritance. No weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that rises up will be silenced. This is the heritage of all the saints. You have an inheritance and that inheritance is everything you need to fulfill the vision God has for you. But you won't do it. You won't see it if you don't allow God if you don't walk the process of saying, God, I'm going to secure those resources. I'm going to keep that divine flow in process because I'm following your principles and your plan for vision. I know some of you are kind of pushing the envelope and you're saying, Pastor Jared, you're, you're twisting my arm spiritually. You're trying to tell me that if I don't do what you said I'm supposed to do, that I won't be blessed. No, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just pointing out that blessed people, they're connected to the flow of God's divine favor. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible gives us some pretty clear ways to do it. Honor the Lord with your first fruits, and your barns will be filled. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse and he'll rebuke the devourer and he'll open up windows of heaven. When two or three gather together in my name, I'm in the midst of them and whatever they ask in my name, I will do. I don't know about you. God has a vision. He has a plan for you and he has a plan for me. He has a plan for this church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one last illustration and I'm going to show you kind of all the process of developing a plan. One of, one of our heart's desires is that God would eventually allow us as a church to own our own property. The reason for that is because we didn't want to be in a position where if a landowner decided he didn't like Christians anymore, he could just kick us out. 
or he'd raise the rent until we couldn't afford it. Or the city could come along and say, no, no, you can't meet there. Which is coming, by the way, for public buildings and, and it, it, in, in our state, it's moving more and more that way. They're trying to move to where eventually churches can't even be in, in any kind of government buildings. It's the way they're moving. And so we knew, we knew we needed a place that we could call home. We need a place that, that we have stuck a stake in the ground. And, because here's what I tell you something is that, the, that God wants his people to stick a stake in the ground. You need to stick a stake in the ground in your family. You need to stick a stake in your ground, in, in your ground on your company, in your business. Why? Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so when we moved into this space, we were believing that God was going to make that possible. We moved in. This was a leased property, but with an option to buy. And we're believing that God was going to make that possible. But here's the thing. We didn't just wait until the date came to buy it and go, okay. No, let me tell you what we did. First of all, we did our due diligence. And here's what we discovered. That when you don't own land, you usually can't buy land. Because businesses and banks don't want to loan to you if you don't own something. Which seems kind of counterproductive. I'm trying to own it. Secondly... They don't just give to anybody. They give to people who are financially secure, who have their finances in order, and then those that have the cash to put down the money to buy it. So what did we do? For years, we started, before we even were in the process of getting a loan, we started having independent auditors come in and audit our finances, tell us how to make it better so that we could follow best practices as a church, and we could know that people would, would trust that we do things with integrity here at Higher Vision. So that's what happened. We started having auditors come years before we ever bought our church. Then we started a campaign where we started raising money and people started giving and they gave in vision, believing that one day that we were going to buy our building. Some of you remember me sharing that years and years ago. And so over the course of time, we raised money and part of it was to get us in. And then we got in and we grew. People kept giving and we raised $2 million. So now we have our $2 million. Now we've done our due diligence. Now our finances are in order. And then we had to find the right bank, a bank that would let us actually do it, that believed in us and what we were doing. So we found the right bank and we put all the pieces together and not long ago, a year or so ago, I remember sitting in my office, the person had come who was there, you know, that this a notary, and he was there with me, and I, I grabbed the piece of paper, and I got to tell you, the joy that filled my heart to know that now we were going to drive a stake in the Santa Clarita Valley, because here's the thing, we're not just thinking about now. We're thinking about 10 years from now and 30 years from now and 50 years from now and 100 years from now. The devil is never going to have this property. This is God's property. And lives are going to be changed. People are going to be saved. Lives are going to be transformed. Kids are going to discover God's vision for their life. And they're going to live out God's destiny. And so I sat in that room and I signed that paper. And we fulfilled the vision. And now we own this property. And we have equity in this property. And, and the company is saying, listen, if you want to do more, we'll help you do it because we love what you're doing. Listen, it all happened because bold vision develops a plan. Well, one day I'm going to start that company. One day maybe my son and I will have a relationship again. Bold vision understands timing. Bold vision communicates the vision and bold vision develops a plan. So what is God calling you to address? What, what needs to be disposed of in your heart? What do you need to, to search out and see? 
What diligence do you need to do? And what do you need to do to connect yourself to the divine flow of God's favor and his grace? Bold vision is yours, I believe, for 2019.